Waiting on Betty. was going to uh, hmm, share a share a quote on faith, but I forgot to uh, bring it out here. That's all right. <clears throat> if any of you bought that book, um, The Outsiders by Pastor Chapel that um, Brother Shetler had here. If you bought that, you need to read it. If you if you didn't buy it, you need to find it. It's a it's a good book. It's just about fifteen different men that uh, stood faith, and uh, <clears throat> I'm almost done with it. And it, it's a it's a good it's a good book. You'd be challenged by reading it. So challenge you to get that. <clears throat> we are in Acts chapter nineteen. Going to continue on. One thing I did forget to mention that ask that you pray for Tanya and George. They came out, if you remember, a year ago, and she ended up nine days in the hospital. Well, they're leaving Thursday tomorrow night and headed this way again. We're going to try it again. So we'll uh, pray they uh, make it out here safely on Friday. They're going to be here during the. The meetings next week too. So, when when he found out that we're doing a first responders Sunday and he has an opportunity to win a new gun, you never know how far a guy will drive just to try to win a new gun, right? He is a fireman, but he still gets to be in the drawing. So, yeah, he's a hose dragger. <laughs> Sorry, I've been running with some of those police officers too long now. So, <clears throat> but then I don't know what you do with Dusty. Dusty's a fireman and a police officer, so he's kind of got an advantage. He gets to be in all the drawings. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like, yeah, he can shoot you and then give you CPR, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and give you the gospel. That's right. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, it uh, I I um, have enjoyed that book, though. You you really should read that book. It's a good one to to read and encourages your faith. And that we need to be we need to be bold. And I mean, there were there were a lot of those men that are in that book that um, were burned at the stake. And the only reason that they were burned at the stake is that they stood for their faith. And said that you must be born again to be saved. And they uh, were told to renounce that, and they would not. And so they were burned at the stake. I don't know if you knew this either back in that time. That's the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, that sometimes they would let family members um, put a bag of uh, gunpowder on their neck so that when they lit the fire, the gunpowder would explode and, and kill them uh, quickly, so they wouldn't have to burn to death. But um, you know, it's uh, be a fearful thing to think that that was the way you'd have to die. 
but um, they were willing to do so and uh, gave their lives for that. So, <clears throat> but anyway, we are here in Acts chapter 19, and, and we see another uh, man that was willing to die for his faith. That was Paul, and uh, how, how amazing is his story of salvation. One, one of the men in that book, I, I uh, was amazed. I, John Newton, anybody know who John Newton was? Anybody know? You ever heard the, the uh, song Amazing Grace? And he's the one that wrote that. And you should read, we all, those that have read a little bit, he, he was a, a captain of a, a slave trading ship. But before he was ever the captain, this guy was as wicked. I mean, you, when, you, when you read his testimony, um, th- that guy was just as wicked as they come. And uh, God miraculously saved that man, and, and uh, he, he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, and pastored a, a church in, in uh, Olney, England, for uh, years and years. And, and, uh, but just an amazing story to read about how God changed his life. And we see uh, Saul here that God changed his life. And, and I, I guess the thing that I'd like for you to get tonight as we just start this a little bit is is let's let's ask God to 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 ignite the passion, ignite the fire again uh, in in our hearts and our lives to uh, see people saved and and to see them come to Christ and to help them and and to to be what what they what they need to be and and I think our churches it's easy to become comfortable with where you are and what you have, and, and uh, we should never be comfortable, and, and I don't believe we should ever be satisfied with where we are. I think we always need to be pushing to see more people saved and, and watch them grow and, and watch their lives change in front of us as they uh, give their lives to the Lord and follow Him and, and live for Him, and, and that's another one. Just put on your list. I'll just share his first name because we're on live stream, but you pray for Nick for salvation very close. And uh, you, you just pray for a man by the name of Nick and pray that, that he will trust Christ as his Savior. And, and uh, just it's just a thing to where these microphones got the devil living in them. We're going to have to perform an exorcist after everybody's gone. So, But anyway, it's just amazing to see how God does that change in, in people's lives and, and so let, let's have that passion, and, and let's never be satisfied, but let's pass out tracts. Let's talk to people about the Lord. Let's, let's in, invite them to come and, and you know, go into their homes if they'll let you, and sit down and share the Scripture and, and uh, talk to them about the Lord and, and encourage them and, and, and just uh, try to encourage them to be what, what they need to be. You never know what you're going to run into and, and how we need to be willing to do that and, and tell others about uh, about Christ, and and so we we need to uh, be a bold witness. Well, Paul was, and we see now that we're we have uh, started in verse twenty three of chapter eighteen. We are seeing Paul's third missionary journey, and we we know that he's based out of Antioch, and Antioch was uh, along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea, up in the northern part of Israel, and 
and it was there that he would uh, base from, and, and he would, at times, he'd gone down into Jerusalem and talked to uh, those that were in Jerusalem, and, and by this time, uh, Jerusalem was a, a very violent place, and uh, Christians were struggling there, and, and there was a church, and, and it's amazing, even in all of the persecution that was going on, that that church continued to thrive in Jerusalem, and, and, uh, but then uh, Paul would go in there, but then from Antioch, he'd go up north, and then he'd swing back to the west, and and cover all that area where all those churches had been started and going in and encouraging them. And, and now he's, he's gone around and he's come into Ephesus again. And so uh, he comes into Ephesus and the first thing that he runs into is, is he, run in, he runs into some people that are religious and they are, they're, they're pious. And, and by pious, I'm not meaning spiritually proud or they, they were trying to be godly and they were trying to follow what they thought to be the truth, but we're going to find out that, that they weren't following the truth. And, and, but, and, and so we see Paul uh, guide them and, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so as we get into chapter 19, we see, first of all, in the first seven verses, we see what, what I titled the ignorant disciples. And, and uh, they're not willfully ignorant they, they were just unknowing of, of uh, what the truth was, and it hadn't gotten to them yet. And so uh, you need to remember at this time that uh, some 25 years or so have passed since Jesus has been crucified on the cross, and so uh, there, there is some time lapse there. And, and Paul has made it into Ephesus in the past, and there is a, a small work that's already started there, but uh, as a very large city, and, and so the word wasn't out real well, and they needed to get out and, and tell others about Christ and, and, and uh, encourage uh, to, to trust Christ as their Savior. And Well, these hadn't heard that yet, and so we, we see, first of all, these ignorant disciples and that, that uh, they were called disciples, but however, we need to look and understand that just because someone was called a disciple or even called themselves a disciple— they, they might have been a professor, but they weren't a possessor. And well, we see that still today also. And it tells us in verse 1, it came to pass that while, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. It, it's amazing how, how Paul went searching. I, I mean, this guy, he, he just he went looking and, and trying to find those that you know, we already know that he had ran into Aquila and Priscilla and made a wonderful friendship with them back in, in uh, um, uh, Philippi the, in the second missionary journey and how they had uh, continued on into Ephesus and, and uh, traveled on to Crete. And, and so uh, and he, he was always looking for those that, that knew Christ and talking to those that didn't. And usually he made a beeline for the synagogue and it was there that he would preach and teach, and we'll see that in a moment in his pattern. But right now we see he comes into the city, and, and one of the first things he does is he runs upon these uh, certain disciples. They, they were pupils and, and learners, you might, might call them. However, just because they're called a disciple doesn't necessarily mean that, that they are a true follower of Christ. Remember when Jesus was talking in John chapter 6, and and uh, in, in John chapter 6, there he was talking about being the bread of life and, and, uh, uh, and, and said, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And, 
And, and he went through some things about discipleship in, in John chapter 6 and showed them that there were going to be some hard things that, that were going to come in their lives if you're going to follow Jesus and, and, and that they needed to be prepared for that. And, and then it tells us in, in uh, um, John chapter 6 and verse 65, and he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. But then look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And so here we see that, oh, they might have made a profession and, and said that they were a follower of Christ, but it was only in the good times, and, and there was absolutely nothing there of fruit showing that, that they were a true disciple of Christ, because here we see that when it got hard and they saw the demands that were going to be made, that they turned and went back. John even wrote about it in 1 John in, in uh, chapter 2 in verses 3 through 6. And here it says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now the thing you need to understand that he's already given us 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is a sin? It's a trespass. It breaks God's law, right? It breaks God's commandment, okay? So you always need to, to, to when, whenever you are studying out 1 John, you always need to keep that in mind. 1 John 1.9 is not a salvation verse 1 John 1.9 is a verse to all believers. And, and here we know that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. There are times when we are going to fail. Now, that, that's not a justification, and, and that's not saying that it'll be okay. I'm not saying that. God's not saying that either. We need to, we need to be working in our life to, to be better in, in, in having victory over things in our lives that are that, that are holding us bondage in, in different ways, and we need to have victory over those things. And so you, you can't just use that as a crutch, okay? You understand. But here now we move on, and so when he says this, that if we, we'll know him if we keep his commandments, and, and he that keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not, not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him." He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now, I, I say all of that because, yes, we're going to fail along the way. However, if someone's life is, in, in, is evidence and, and you watch their life, and the only evidence that you ever have in their life is, is the life of an unsaved person that's walking without God, without no no remorse, no conviction, no care, then, like I say so often, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And so it is important that we understand that we walk as a believer. And when we fail, then we have 1 John 1, 9. We, can, we get it right with him.
We're going to get to that. That's the Pentecostals will teach that. Yes. Right. The, the thing that we need to understand is that a person receives the Holy Spirit immediately upon salvation. And Right. Even if I was as a, even if I'm a Christian though, Dan, and I die with an unconfessed sin, I'll still be in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All all of. Christ died for the sins of the world. So Jesus, Jesus died for all the sins of the world. All of them, not just mine, everybody's. From, from the first time Adam sinned to the very last sin that will ever be committed when, when it's over. And, and so the thing that we, and I know where you're, you're, you're dealing with an argument from somebody that's a Pentecostal. And, and so... And if you don't, if you die, yeah, because if, if you die and there's an unconfessed sin, then you can go to hell. Yeah, right. However, the whole body of sin has been dealt with on the cross, all of them, past, present, and future. That, there's an assembly of God pastor that I know, friends with him, and he always wanted to argue with me that, that my past sins are forgiven my present sins are forgiven that I have confessed, but my future sins have yet to be forgiven. Right. Yeah, I mean, they, they, run, in, they run in a vicious circle. Yeah. Because he's teaching also a sinless perfection where you can actually walk perfectly in this world. So what we need to do is just provoke him to anger sometime and then we'll show him that he just sinned by you know and he's not sinless any longer, right? And I'm I'm kidding, all right? <laughs> but uh, yeah. So and this is the passage that they use right here in in the Acts and th and that's why I went to 1 John 2 in that that first of all, we need to understand that just because someone says, yes, I'm a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean that they are. You, so what do you mean by Christian? Well, I was baptized. Well, that doesn't mean anything. That, that means that, that you're a, a baptizian, you know, or you're a follower of baptism, you know, or whatever, you know, or I'm a good person. Or you, you find out, well, my mom and dad were, were good members of the so-and-so Methodist church in so-and-so town. Well, so it doesn't mean anything. We have to deal with our sin. Everyone personally has to deal with their sin. And, and I think that in our society today that, that we start overlooking so many things and, and, and uh, there is absolutely zero commitment, there is zero understanding of the fear of God because He is a consuming fire and, and we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and, and that is to prove 
to others our salvation with a fear and trembling to please God. We, we need to understand that we have a responsibility to live in a way that people can see and know that we are a believer. And, and when we are a believer and we choose not to live that way, then be careful because there comes a point in time in God's patience that his holiness supersedes his patience. And, and he's going to, you will get right with him or you will get dead. I mean, that, that's ultimately what it can come to and the sin unto death. And so we need to be careful with that. But, but here, you know, this is, you know, wasn't hidden where I was planning on it. But anyway, and, and this passage in Acts 19 is exactly where, where Dan was heading with this, and, and, and we'll try to deal with some of this as we go. But anyway, so here we have these disciples. However, we're going to find out that these disciples were not saved. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? When you believed? And so, so at this point in time, sirs, did you receive that Holy Ghost when when you were saved, that, that, is, that is the authentication of one's salvation is the Holy Spirit indwelling the life of you as a believer. That brings conviction. That brings empowerment. That, that brings enlightenment to, to God's Word. That brings a, uh, it brings a love for God's Word, where, where you do want to hear what God's Word says. You you want to pray to Him. Now, you might not necessarily do all of that the way that you ought to, and then God convicts you of that. That's the sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit, showing you that He is desiring this. He wants to hear this, and He wants to hear your cries. He wants to hear your prayers. He He wants to feed you through His Word and and, and bring you to that. And, and uh, uh, we, we know and understand the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, here he is. He's asking them. So now, and he, and it's interesting how he obviously, you know, we don't see this, but by him asking this kind of a question, he saw something with them that bothered him. And, and so now, instead of coming in there like maybe Elijah would have, you know, and say, "Hey, you need to get right, and you need to trust God and try Christ." your Savior, and, and, and you're teaching all these things wrong. Instead, he just comes to them in a non-threatening way. He says, oh, so did you receive the Holy Spirit when, when you got saved? Well, what was their answer? And they said unto him, we've not heard so much, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. We've never heard that. Never heard that there's a Holy Spirit, that a Holy Ghost is going to uh, live in us, what, what are you talking about? And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Well, now John, we know that the baptism of John was a, a, a sign of repentance towards God. And, 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 so, uh, uh, and, and uh, so here when we look at this and... and uh, uh, He's looking at them, and he's thinking about this, and he says, so, all right, so if you're saying that you're a disciple, and you're, you, uh, what kind of a disciple are you, and have you gotten the Holy Spirit of God, and no, we don't even know who this Holy Spirit is, and, and uh, uh, so who, who is it that you're baptized with? And, and uh, here we see that they say, well, we follow John's baptism, and 
John's baptism prepared the way of Jesus, and, uh, and John preached that people needed to repent uh, because the Messiah was coming. And so now this one's interesting because there are others that were baptized during that time, and they were never rebaptized. This group was. And so obviously they had something going on that was wrong in their thoughts and in their minds. And, and so uh, these men needed to decide. Now, not only was there a repentance, and, and John's was repent and trust the Messiah. Well, obviously they had left off the Messiah. And they were trusting in the baptism of John. That was what was going to save them. And so then it goes on, and, and then said Paul, John verily baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is, on Christ Jesus. Now, it, it, it doesn't go into detail here, but apparently you're, we're smart enough to know that at this point in time then, Paul explained to them that, look, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, looking forward to the Messiah that was come. However, the thing that you guys are missing out on is the Messiah has come, and the Messiah is Jesus. And, and you have, you're, you're following and thinking that the baptism of John is what's going to save you. It doesn't do any of that whatsoever, but it's the one that you are repenting towards that's going to save you, and it's Jesus. And so he introduces them to Jesus, and when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's where the Pentecostals go south. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, and so three, three distinct things took place. First of all, we know throughout the Scripture that there were people that would, would lay hands on someone, and that was the show of their approval. You, you can remember that there were times when they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas at the Church of Antioch and sent them out. They, they were laying hands on them, and they were praying with them, and it was a way that they were showing their sign of approval that, hey, this guy is real, this guy is genuine, and, here we, and we're sending him out. I still see this the same thing. Paul introduces them to Christ. They say, hey, we, we trust Christ. They then get baptized as they ought to, and then when they have been baptized, Paul is putting his hand on them and saying, hey, this guy's the real deal. He's trusted Christ. Not only that, not only is that an authentication of their salvation, but they also received the Holy Ghost, came upon them. My simple mind makes it pretty simple to me that all of this process is, is taking place. When they trusted Christ as their Savior, they, they, hey, immediately they want to do the right thing. Why do they want to do the right thing? Why do they want to follow the Lord in baptism? Because the Holy Spirit is showing them that they need to do the right thing. And so as, as Paul gives his approval, they also receive the Holy Spirit in their heart and in their life. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And this, there, there's only three times where we see this, this happening this way, where uh, someone was saved, someone was baptized, and then they spoke in tongues. There, there's here in chapter 19. It was also in chapter 2. And then there was another place in, in uh, uh, chapter 10. And so 
However, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to drudge down into this uh, in this passage. However, the, the tongues were, first of all, were assigned to the unbelievers. And so when people are doing the gibberish that they do in the church, and they say that they're doing that to edify the believers, it was not used to edify believers. It was used as a sign to unbelievers that they needed to trust Christ. Secondly, when they did speak in tongues, they were speaking in a language that they did not know. But the people that were there knew that language, and so they would speak in tongues, and they would speak the gospel message, and those people in another tongue could understand what it was that they were saying. It's what it was always been. And, and these people that want to tell you that, well, there, there's also the angelic language. You show me in the Scripture anywhere from Genesis to Revelation where when an angel spoke to a man, that that man didn't understand him. Every time an angel spoke to a man, that, that person understood exactly what he said. Now, there were times like Daniel wrote down what he told him to, to write down and didn't understand what he wrote down. I mean, some of that is difficult. I mean, he, he was prophesying of stuff that still hasn't taken place. That's why he didn't understand that, but it wasn't because he didn't understand what the angel told him. He knew exactly what the angel told him, and that's why we have the book of Daniel. And so that they, they get lost in, the, in this idea and they and they get lost in the emotionalism, and they and they truly get lost in the in the entire doctrine of who the Holy Spirit is. And the thing that we need to realize is that best thing that you can realize when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit of God, and you have all of the Holy Spirit of God you're ever going to get. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, and he indwells in the life of every believer. And you're not going to have a little piece of him. You're not going to have his arm dwelling in you and the rest of him somewhere else. You're not going to have him depart from you because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake thee. And in John 14, 15, and 16, showed us that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, and he will always be there. And so you have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. You don't need some second anointing. You don't, you don't need somebody to lay their hands upon you and say, receive the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have that today. And, and, and what happened in Acts chapter 2, this was the very beginning of, of the church process. And, and now we see by this time, too, that immediately the Holy Spirit was indwelling the life of a believer. Paul looked to them and said, genuine salvation is seen by that person walking in the Holy Spirit of God. That's why I went to 1 John. That's the same way in our lives today. We ought to be able to see the Holy Spirit directing us. We're not perfect, and we are going to screw up at times, and that's when we go to 1 John 1, 9, and we confess it to God, and we get it right with Him, and then we move on. But there always ought to be that evidences of, of Christ in our lives and in our hearts. And, and here we see that, that taking place. And all the men were about 12. There were, there were somewhere around 12 of them. Not 12 years old, but numbers of them were 12. All right? 
And, and here he wasn't even exact in that. I don't know why. I, I, I would be curious to know why, why didn't he say there were exactly 12? I, I guess it didn't, you know, I, I don't know. I just find that interesting. So, but uh, he just wasn't exact in that. But somewhere around 12 of them had trusted Christ as their Savior. So uh, we'll, we'll get in further down through here because next what we'll see he deals with these guys, they get saved, and then what does he do? Makes a beeline straight for the synagogue. And there he is, teaching to the Jews once again and uh, trying to win them to Christ. And the one thing that, that we can, you know, you got to be careful basing doctrine on one verse. And, and that's what our Pentecostals have done. And we need to, you know, and, and you know what I think? I think that some of them are just like these guys. They, they love the Lord. They want to do the right thing, they, they, and, and they live in fear. They, and, they're, and, and the problem is, is they've listened to somebody that's taken one verse out of context and used that to base an entire body of doctrine. And, and I, so I think they're like some of these. And what you want, and you point out to them, is that have the same heart that these Ephesians had and realize that you're wrong, and with a tender heart, trust Christ as your Savior and rest completely in Him. However, I think there are some that are more entrenched like the Jews, and, they, and they're going to hate you for telling them the truth. But you tell them the truth anyway, because that is our responsibility. And we do so in love, just like Paul did, and you win some, and the, those that choose to, to be hardened, then they, they will, they'll deal with God and... Uh, that, that's not our job. We just need to continue to love them and tell them the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you encourage each one. And Lord, I pray for Dan as he deals with his dad. And, and I know it's, it's uh, been a burden for years for him. And I pray that you would uh, open his dad's eyes and that, Lord, he'd see the, just the saving power that you have. It, it is unfathomable. It's hard to imagine. That's why you're God. We thank you for that. Thank you for saving us. And I pray that you use us this week to reach out to this community. And Father, this Sunday we'll see just a wonderful outpouring of your love and your grace and your mercy and that you'll save many. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.